Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. This is week, I believe, 10 or 11 for the podcast. I'm Max Brecky. I am a managing editor of Blackheart Gold Pants. As you can tell, I am not Jerry Sherwin. He is not joining us this week. Instead, we will have Harrison Starr, one of the writers for Blackheart Gold Pants, joining us. Harrison, how's it going? Hey. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being me, since I couldn't be me this week. Uh, yeah, I'm so sorry that you guys aren't, don't get to hear Jerry's delightful voice, and instead everybody gets to hear my extremely monotone and awful voice to listen to. Um, it's Halloween, so maybe that's why it's the, my voice is, uh, or Jerry's voice is disguised as mine, and I'm very sorry. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, what is, let's, let's kick it off with a little bit of, uh, something, something different. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Are you a Reese's person like every, like, other person in the world? I think it's like 95% of people think that Reese's is the best Halloween candy. I did say that Reese's was my favorite Halloween candy. But I think I'm going to audible because this this candy isn't getting enough love in my view. I'm a big fan of crunch bars. And not just any crunch bar, but like the little mini ones so that you can put it all in your mouth and crunch it like the name says. So <laughs> that is my preferred candy. I know you're a candy corn aficionado, but what is your favorite uh, Halloween candy that you get at the door? Uh, when I was a kid, I was always pretty excited when I got, like, even, like, Milky Way or, like, the the mini cookies and cream fun size Hershey's bars. I used to love those as a kid. Uh, I don't know why, but I thought that they were the absolute best. I'm sure that there are some people that disagree with all of my takes. I don't like Reese's, but it's mostly because I don't like peanut butter. I am extremely averse to peanut butter, and so I just can't, I can't handle it. So I got I put it on Twitter earlier, and I've been getting blasted for about two or three hours straight now for my Reese's uh, peanut butter cups take. But- I blasted you for that too. Um, I think the thing about the Reese's is it can be like three or four different candy bars in one. Like you can have the the middle where it's like all peanut butter, and then kind of the edges where it's that perfect mix of chocolate and peanut butter, and then the edge where it's all milk chocolate. So to me, that's why. I see a lot of people liking it. You can put a dab of peanut butter on anything, and I will refuse to eat it. I I hate peanut butter so much. It's I, I don't want to go down it any further than that. I just really don't like peanut butter, and therefore don't like the most popular candy, I guess, of all time. It uh, happens. You don't like a lot of things <laughs> that are popular, Max. Or at least no, those my, are your internet takes on them. My, my takes on Twitter are the worst. If you wanted to see some really bad, frequent takes... Highly recommend that you follow me, but if you don't want to see those takes, don't ever come anywhere near my Twitter or anybody else who likes to retweet my bad takes because they they can be doozies. I think I also said today that uh, I don't like the Monster Mash. The Monster Mash is bad. The Monster Mash is the Monster Mash. I think it is what it is. You take it or leave it, and you leave it, so... Yeah, it's it's just I think it's so overhyped. Like I can get you know like listening to it like once during the Halloween season and being like, oh man, all right, it's Halloween. This is what we're gonna listen to. But 
I, I know people who just, like, incessantly play it around Halloween, and it's in everything. Like, it's on every TV show that's Halloween-themed. It's everywhere. It's in commercials, in stores. I, I just don't like it. I think it's extremely overrated. You but know where it wasn't this weekend, Max? It was not we? at a quote-unquote Halloween dance party that me and my fiancé went to. How can you have a Halloween dance party without the Monster Mash? Surely See, you can at least agree with that. No, yeah, like that's that's a setting where you sh- where you should be able to hear that song. Like that's where that song belongs. Is that like a Halloween themed party along with you know whatever else you play on Halloween? Adam's a- family theme music. But yeah, that's that's where you should hear it. And I don't want to hear it everywhere that I go. I feel like wherever I go during this kind of time of the year, it's that. And now that th- Halloween's over, it's gonna go straight to Christmas music. I'm I'm not like Jerry. I I need. <laughs> A month between Halloween and Thanksgiving to uh, to kind of decompress from the holidays and then go um, straight into Christmas music. But uh, I know that I'm probably in a little bit of the minority because it seems like p- people just love to go straight from uh, straight from one to the other. And if you're in a grocery store, you will see that tomorrow. Like you said, it'll immediately change over to all of the Christmas candy. Yeah, I'm sure that some at some point this week I'm going to end up at my local Target and I'm going to see Christmas decorations already popping up. I'm going to see hear Christmas music at some point in the next like couple weeks. I'm not looking forward to it. I agree with you on that, but my take's a little bit stronger and I'm not going to get into it because it's going to just deviate us more from what this podcast actually is. We're gonna, we're here to talk about the Hawkeyes. So without with saying that, you know, let's talk about that Minnesota game. It was a win. You know, the defense played lights out. The offense, though, it, it it's still not really there. How did you how did you feel about that game? How did you feel about the performance? I got some pre feedback from my aforementioned fiance to not be so pessimistic. So I'm going to kind of start with what I like. I like the Iowa offense when they try and score. I think, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, because th- there's I'll take there's <laughs> exactly right. But the, the things, when Iowa really tries to score, it seems, when the, 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 um, the point of their offense, when it becomes scoring the ball instead of, um, you know, eating clock, keeping the defense off the field, you know, possession game and flipping field position, that is what Brian Ferentz has proven that he can coach. That's when you see the passes on first down. That's when you see um, the breaks against tenancy. Um, I know the the, the run uh, that Akram Wadley had was out of shotgun. You don't see a lot of that when yeah. you know they're doing ball control type stuff. Um, but when you see them in those situations where they're trying to score, I ran the numbers last week. Uh, at that time, they were like 11 out of 17 in point in possessions where they needed to score quote unquote if they had were under two minutes in either the first or um second half uh overtime or uh behind in the game like the iowa state game they've Mm -hmm. scored 11 out of 17 times uh plus uh, i guess 11 out of 18 times because they didn't uh, under two minutes uh in the first half and and i think that that shows that there is a kernel uh, a seed there for us to really kind of grab onto as 
uh, we'll see from the, the, the Brian Ferentz uh, acolytes. Th that, that's, to me, where, where we can build around in terms of here's an identity that Iowa can have going forward. Um, I, I don't know if, if you have anything else to, to add about the good things or if we should uh, kind of get into some of the <laughs> nitty-gritty and ugly things, but um, uh, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, I mean, so sticking on the good train, or at least partially good train at least, uh, the first drive of each half, they were phenomenal. You know, five plays, both of them. One was 80 yards, the other one I think was 67 off the top of my head. Those were great drives, you know. A uh, couple on the first drive, you know, came up passing first uh, play of the game, 25 yards, I think. The next play, 22 yards, or maybe I'm flip flopping them. But you know, they threw for 47 yards on their first two passes, and that was that was great to watch. You know, like I was actually after that first drive, extremely excited about the way that game was gonna go. I was like, all right, Brian Ferentz is here to get, uh, you know, put points down the Gophers' throats. He wants to destroy them tonight. It's gonna be beautiful to watch and after that they just turtled the rest of the game they didn't you know until the second half when they picked it up again on that first drive and then they went back to being a turtles uh it was it was beautiful to watch those two, a couple of drives where they you know really went out there and they really really tried to put the ball down the field yeah even even uh, to me i think what dictated the turtle was when Iowa went against script uh, with that interception. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people out there saying that it, it looked like it was inaudible. There's a single high safety, one-on-one -on -one coverage, and really there, there isn't an athlete, I think, in the Big Ten, uh, except for maybe someone that we're going to see this coming week that can probably stick with uh, ISM. Uh, and it was a perfect throw. Um, I think, throw. Yeah, and it... If it catches, like it was, it was, it was even better to me than the Fant throw because it was perfectly in stride. Um, and if he's able to bring it in, he's probably he's probably gone. Like that's a 93-yard pass with um, 40, 50 yards in the air. But I think they got a little. Uh, they, the Ferentz is like, okay, we're better than this team. Let's just not risk anything anymore. Um, and that's kind of what we saw um, in in the turtling. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. That was that was a bad interception. That was a perfect throw right off of his hands. You know, threw it not into double coverage, but there were two guys converging on uh, Smith Marset when he uh, when the, it went off his fingers. Hence the interception for one of those guys catching it. But uh, yeah, that was he should have had that. That was really disappointing to see. You know, he's had a couple of plays like that. I think it was his it was his first touch as a Hawkeye. You know, fumble and then. He's touched the ball since then, I believe. I really hope he... Yeah, because he had the reverse later on in that game. Um, or the... Not reverse, the jet sweep. Was it? Yeah, it was a jet sweep. I think they ran two of them, actually, in, in uh, Jordan Hansen's uh, video recap. He had one where it was uh, from him under center, and then one where they were in shotgun. And they yeah. both worked. And those are the types of things that I'm really happy to see from this Iowa offense you know it's it's a modern element mixed in with kind of Kirk Ferentz's old school uh approach and I think he's marrying that in a way uh Brian Ferentz's uh in a way that uh we haven't necessarily seen from 
from another offensive uh, coordinator under Ferentz, with the exception of probably some vintages of Ken O'Keefe. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a unique offense, you know, especially in terms of what Iowa runs this season. It's just it just isn't consistent. Uh, you know, when he try, when they try to push the ball down the field and they put balls in the hands of their playmakers, and you know, teams aren't able to just say, "Hey, we need to sit on the run right here." Uh, Iowa's been really good, as you said. What eleven of eighteen on dry, uh, scoring drives when they were behind or with less than two minutes left in a half. That's, I mean, that's far better than probably most teams in the country. You know, you need a score, and you're scoring over fifty percent of the time. That's I didn't know that. I didn't even think to or about a scenario like that. But, yeah, and the thing about that scenario is, like, so many of those times, they're not just scoring field goals. They're actually getting the ball in the end zone. And I, and I know a couple of those instances, they had the ball at the 30 against Wyoming and against Penn State. But still, you know, it's showing, hey, we're actually going to try and get the ball in the end zone instead of taking the three points or taking the current position of, of the game and going into halftime. Yeah, and, you know, it's just Brian and whoever need to figure out you know, how to run a better offense when things are, you know, like kind of just a mid-game situation. Uh, we haven't really seen that yet so far this season for the most part. He needs to, they need to figure out, you know, Brian, Kirk, whoever else they're involving in the play calling, whether that be Ken O'Keefe or not, uh, they need to figure out how to, you know, keep their toes on their toes in the middle of the game because and keep things Iowa football-like. Because it's an easy thing to say, okay, we're just going to pass more on first down, and t- defenses won't be able to stop, or uh, they won't be able to stack the box against Iowa. But it's they just got to, you know, try to keep the identity that they want to keep. You know, say, hey, we're going to run the ball more often than not on a first and second down, but maybe we'll incorporate these screens and uh, you know slant routes and maybe some home run routes in the middle of there with play action and. They haven't shown a willingness to do that a lot this season. They did a lot of play action against Minnesota, actually, and the offense looked really good for the most part. Just didn't get points. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that one pass kind of moving moving it along uh, in terms of kind of the analysis of the offense, the, the pass he had to Fant, um, to me it really shows his maturation. Um, there was probably some overcompensation in terms of, oh, I don't want to, you know, fly it to him. But he also put it in a in a spot where that's what the route's for. The route's there so that you have a full half of the field to get it to your deep route if, if the defense falls for it like you hope the defense falls for it. And it did. He was wide open. And those were the throws that we didn't see him hit. Uh you know, that we didn't see him hit even last week or the week before. Um, so I think I think he's a really, really good quarterback. Um, and we're just scratching the surface with Nathan Stanley, in my opinion. No, I would, ag- I would definitely agree with that. Uh, kind of flipping sides of the field, had, I mean, the defense was fantastic. We already mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, I mean, held Minnesota 10 points. Never really uh, – they didn't break – they they let Minnesota in the game, bond in the game, bond in the game, bond in the game, but they didn't let Minnesota score until the second half. You know, they had that big interception, Josh Jackson just kind of punching the ball into the hands of Jake Gervas. They it was a great team effort. And you know, Minnesota did kinda 
uh, shoot themselves in the foot quite a bit. They dropped a lot of passes, which helped Iowa out in the end, but it gives me a little bit of confidence going into Ohio State week. Yeah, I agree. Um, the defense did kind of what they've been doing all season. Um, you know, they didn't have kind of the the letdown drive at the beginning of the game. Um, yeah, they gave up all, all and, and I guess the concern is, you know, they, they gave up all of their points in the fourth quarter which you never really want to see when Kirk Ferentz is coach because, to me, in a different setting, Iowa could have only been up 10-0, right? And obviously right. this is playing the, the ifs and or game, but it's it just you want to see Iowa capitalize when they can capitalize. To your point, the bend but don't break, it worked. Um, they had kind of the, the one big play um, against... Uh, I think Iowa was in nickel, um, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Aren't and, they always when anything bad happens? And and it's going to be interesting to see um, what Iowa does with nickel. Because uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's Ojemudier or Ragamba or if it's just like the combination of the two not really knowing what they need to do um, versus having all three you know, senior linebackers out there. Um, I think there's there's still a lot of work to do with that, and I it, it's kind of a two prong thing, right? Because they're uh, I'm looking at the stats now, and they did have four sacks, um, yeah. which is good, uh, and seven tackles for loss. So the the line's getting there. Um, it's just kind of uh, it's just not necessarily getting there as um, consistently, like the, I guess there's a difference between getting sacks and applying pressure. It seems like this was a really good game in which they were good at getting the sacks, but they weren't necessarily getting that consistent pressure, which worked out fine. Um, you know, he was a, a mobile quarterback, so you want to keep him in the pocket. Yeah. There were drops by the receivers, so um, they're positives to build on. That's that's kind of where I am at with with this team and. Um, with this season, and trying not to be pessimistic. Yeah, the defensive line, they showed you know quite a bit during this game. I feel like they weren't always trying to get a lot of pressure on uh, Demery Croft just because they wanted to contain him. Uh, so I think that they were playing a little bit more of a contained-style uh, defensive effort there. The linebackers, they are what they are, you know. They're, it's, they're not going to change. They're all seniors. They've all been around the block a few times. Uh, you know, they're a solid core. And in the secondary, though, Josh Jackson was phenomenal in this game. I think that, however, uh, Pro Football Focus ra uh, rates the players. He had the highest rating in the Big Ten for, I think, any position uh, group. But the rest is pretty iffy. Hooker's, Hooker's good. You know, he's not that he has that starting job wrapped up all to himself over Miles Taylor. But that other corner spot, it is not necessarily all that consistent. Rugumba got beaten a couple times in this one. I think you tweeted saying that uh, maybe we anointed Rugumba a little bit too soon after his performance against Michigan. And yeah, I think you're right. He's been average at best for the majority of the season. And then the other safety position, Jake Gervas, it's you know kind of hit or miss. He had a pretty good game this game. He did a lot of really good things that I liked, and I noticed him do a lot of really good things. You know, the interception being one. You know, he was a pretty solid tackler. He didn't seem that he uh, bid on a whole lot of uh, play action in this one. But 
those two positions on the defense are the ones that I'm most concerned about moving forward. I agree with that. Um, and, and before we, I guess, turn it to Ohio State, Gervas, he's someone that uh, I think I also tweeted this too, that it seems like it's a law that Iowa needs to have a former or current walk-on at one of the safety positions. And a lot of times it works out. Like, I, I, he, he didn't go for the big hits that I can remember. Um, he's, he kind of went back to the spring game where he was just kind of always in the right place at the right time. Like, yeah. why is the ball finding him? Why is this offensive player finding him? But he, he played a good game. Um, and he's going to be tested against Ohio State because I think a lot of the, the RPO-type stuff, it's keyed in on safety play. Yeah. So it'll be uh, key... Um, what he and Hooker both do. Yeah, I think that Hooker's pretty solid. Uh, it's just against that RPO kind of style of offense, he's going to need to make sure that he doesn't bite early on play action because that was a big problem with him in the first couple weeks of the season was he found himself out of position because he was biting so often on that. And, you know, I think that this game he did a good job not doing it. It would be good to see him do it against a team like Ohio State where the threat of them running is extremely high. And if they do run it, they have the tools all over the place to make it work. Uh, he just needs to kind of be patient, I think, in this next up um, upcoming game. But before we get into that, uh, did you have anything else to talk about for Minnesota? I think that does it for me. All right. Uh, then in that case, let's do uh, you got You had a punter go for it. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so this punter go for it is uh, Josh Jackson is a better cornerback this year than Desmond King was in 2015. Ooh. Uh, I don't know. Um, here's, there's, there's, there are two different kinds of corners. Um, Desmond King is extremely so. He was a ball hawking kind of cornerback. You know, he was always there for the pick. You know, he always uh, jumped routes early. Uh, he did a really good job covering, but that was why his numbers were so inflated that season. His teams were still willing to throw the ball to him, and he always kind of you know got in position to get that big interception and make that big play. Uh, and I'm not saying that he's bad. I'm, he's a very good corner. Obviously, he's a safe. He, I don't think he's. I don't know if he starts for the Chargers right now, but he plays for the Chargers, you know, and he plays regularly. I think that he just barely missed a sack on Tom Brady this past week over random, which he's had a problem with in the NFL, if we're being honest. But uh, Josh Jackson, he's very much. I think he's better cover corner. I think that he's more of a lockdown than Desmond King was. So I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll pooch punt on it. That's fair. Um, the the stats to say that Josh Jackson is better, and to to your point, it's really pick your poison in terms of the corner that you want. He has 15 pass breakups this year versus Desmond King only having 13 all of last all of 2015 versus Josh Jackson two interceptions, where Desmond King, to your point, eight interceptions. And I, I think Pooch Punt's the right answer here, um, just because it, it's. Desmond King, that was an all-time season. Like, uh, I know right. I, uh, interceptions are a little bit of a glory stat, and we can kind of hyper-focus on them, but you still need to be in the right place. You still need to, you know, come down with the ball. Um, so so I think 
it's kind of pick your poison. Um, Desmond King, Thorpe Award winner on the back of those eight interceptions. But Josh Jackson, um, you know, he got up into the, uh, what they say, first round for the pro football focus. His measurables are better. Um, yeah. And I, I think in terms of fluidity, he might be a tad bit better, um, but not so much that it's uh, that it's obvious. Um, but I, I think it's pooch punt. I, yeah. I like that answer. Here, let's let's make things a little bit more definitive. Let's raise the stakes. If you had to, if you were an NFL scout and you had to pick one of the two, which one would you, uh, which one would you want on your team? Which would you like to build your uh, your secondary around? I think in the modern NFL, it's about getting cover corners. So that answer would be Josh Jackson, um, yeah. just because he like he's six one, three or four inches taller than Dez. Uh, he's got the long wingspan like that. That punch that he had to Gervas, like that was an insane play because he he had really he he was right there for it obviously, but it, he was he's so big that he was just able to reach over the wide receiver and literally punch the ball out of the air into Gervas. Yeah. So. No, I I probably have to agree with that. Uh, just it's mostly because of the size, though. Like you know, in the NFL, you're asked to cover a lot bigger guys. In college football, you're often going up against somebody who's just like six feet, six foot one. Uh, you know, kind of more average size receivers in the NFL. I think every just about every team has somebody who's about six four, six five, uh, and. So, I, yeah, I think that I would agree with you on Josh Jackson being the corner that I would take if I had to pick between the two. Although, Josh Jackson's season this year really makes me wonder how great things could have been the past couple seasons, or particularly last year, uh, if Jackson started ahead of Maven more often. I think that's a little bit unfair because um, I always thought Maven was a little bit of the the, the person that everyone kind of liked to beat up on Uh and especially because that's where the ball was always going. Sure. Um, if and you know we speak about Iowa as a developmental program all the time. This is a situation where that development is, you know, coming to fruition. He, ha- he Jackson has had three years in the program. Uh, I think one and a half of them were spent on the other side of the ball. So he's really only yeah. been a corner for the last year and a half. Um, so the development that he's had, I think, is has really, last year probably would have been really ugly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If we had to witness his development in the season that everyone was throwing away from Desmond King. Yeah, that's a fair statement. Um, you know, I guess that, you know, thinking back on it to even just a couple of years ago, when Josh Jackson came into the game, I was afraid that teams were going to target him. So, but that also might have just been because he was, you know, not the starter on either side of the ball, and he wasn't Des King, you know, but anyway, yeah, so let's, you want to talk about Ohio State and how Ohio State has an offense that could really score points and potentially blow Iowa out of the water this upcoming weekend? Well, before we get to the bad things, I want to say a good thing. Okay. I love the jerseys. They're... Yeah. Like, the jerseys are just so cool. Um, and I, the gray is the perfect amount of gray. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I like how they're using it on the numbers with the brick eyes. I think that's kind of, that's a really cool feature, and Iowa should use that 
everywhere now. Like they should put them on like the back of the basketball jerseys as in like that pattern you see behind the numbers. Like it is so cool. I don't know how I haven't seen that before. Yeah, no, that's a sick look. Uh, yeah, there's not really a whole lot about that look that I don't like. As you said, I'm not a huge fan of gray uniforms in any capacity, but I think that they pull them off for the most part. You know, I got to see them not in the dark because all of those previews, it was pretty much just, you know, a dark room that they were standing in. But uh, they looked they looked good. I'm excited to see them uh, in action, especially once the uh, sun goes down and connects the upcoming uh, Saturday. Yeah, and to your point, hopefully uh, the game's still worth watching around that time. Um, <laughs> with with uh, Ohio State, I was just kind of going through the numbers. Um, they have the number two offense in all of the land at 46.2 points per game. Obviously, you kind of have to take into account that they've played Rutgers, UNLV, yeah. Indiana, Maryland, and Nebraska. They're all in that group um, where they've scored close to 50 or over 50 um and they're giving up only 18.2 points per game um so obviously those games those metrics aren't clean um with the points per possession type of stuff that we see but um they are high powered uh what what do you think i was going to try and do uh base defense <laughs> yeah i I don't think they're going to do anything different. They're going to play Ohio State as though they're anybody else because that's what Iowa does. Uh, you know, they're not going to... I don't think they're going to pull out anything special. They might do the Raider a couple times. I don't know how much I want to see them do that just because, uh, you know, there's that potent threat of JT Barrett running the ball and if they, you know, bring numbers at him, he can easily just scramble and go for the huge play there. Uh, they did a good job defending against somebody like Demery Croft who... Also, is pretty mobile. Um, you know, he has that ability as well, but he doesn't have that on the same level that JT Barrett does. Yeah, um, I think we're going to see a game plan that is almost exactly like what we saw against Penn State. It's one where you try and just stretch out the the off uh, stretch out their offense, make them really kind of move the ball. Um, they're obviously going to be able to move the ball, but um, you just got to hope that when they're down inside the red zone, you give up field goals instead of touchdowns. Um, and it's just, it's going to take a lot uh, to beat them, in, in my view. Yeah, the one thing that I am kind of looking, I think the big key is going to be what do they allow JT Barrett to do through the air? Because he's been pretty inconsistent this season. Uh, People have been harping on the fact that he is not a good passer still, even though he's been around for about 45 years. Uh, but he had a really good game against Penn State. He didn't throw an incomplete pass in the, in the fourth quarter, was it, I think. Uh, he was 33 of 39 in the entire game. He had a great game, and if he can play like that, Iowa, I don't think has any chance. But if he has the, kind of one of those more inconsistent games where you know, he can't find the uh, his receivers accurately. I think that Iowa has a pretty decent chance to at least keep things close. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at the his game logs from this year right now, and, and kind of the thing that sticks out to me is um, in the games where it was tight 
and the loss uh, against Oklahoma um, and the win against Penn State, uh, he had well over 10 carries. So I think what you're going to want to do if you're actually an Iowa fan is or the Iowa coaching staff, I think they're going to try and make him actually beat Iowa on his feet inside of the tackles. Once he gets outside of the tackles, it's it, all bets are off um, because there's probably no one on the field that can catch up with him in an Iowa uniform. Uh, yeah. So if they can really kind of harness him in the way that they harnessed McSorley, the way they did with Lou Werke, and then even, uh, to you said, as you said, the Minnesota quarterback, they were able to contain him. Um, so you just got to kind of hope that he stays within the pocket. Yeah, I think that, honestly, and, I mean, maybe this is a flawed idea, and you can tell me so because it has its, it, is, it has a good idea in theory, and then when you think about it more, it sounds like a worse idea. Um, kind of give him a little bit more time to stay in the pocket and make him make a play with his arm is what I'm thinking. It's because when he's, run, when he's on the move and when, you know, he, he can do some stuff, but if you make him beat you through the air, I think that, or, like, in the pocket and make him become a pocket passer, I think that that's, you know, that's not his game and that he might struggle a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Like, he's really, since that Oklahoma game, he's put up some some pretty gnarly statistics. He's only got the one interception uh, against Oklahoma, and he's been above 60% in terms of pass percentage uh, on those quick passes. Um for each game since then, and a lot of them well above 70%. So, um, you know, I think Kevin Wilson has this offense humming, uh, their offensive coordinator. Um, so I think Iowa is going to need to score. Uh, it. I, Kirk Ferentz is going to take the exact same game against Penn State. Um, oh, yeah. If it ends up being a game where it's like 12 to 16 and Iowa has the ball with, like, five minutes left. They're down four. Like, Kirk Ferentz is going to take that game, you know, not just every single day and twice on Saturdays, but twice every single day. He loves that style of football. Um, but Ohio State is a unique um, problem to Kirk Ferentz because he's like, – Iowa's never really been able to contain him unless they've really – done weird things or Ohio State has been um, really down. So flipping it to Iowa's offense, what type of offense do you think we see from them? Uh, I, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot, honestly. I think it's going to kind of be, you know, maybe if they um, get the ball uh, early and just really quickly, I'm going to go back to Minnesota. They won the toss and chose to receive. Which I th- found, which they don't do that very often. That was that was interesting to me that they did that. Um, I just got an ad in my ear from ESPN, so that was fun. Uh, so I lost my train of thought. I, I think You're saying that they got the ball first and they won the coin toss and. Oh yeah, I just I just thought that was interesting. Um, but moving on from that, quick little side comment. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of the same thing that we've seen a lot um, this season. We're going to see Iowa try to run the ball. Um, I don't think the Iowa's going to score a lot of points if they win. It's going to be really ugly on both sides of the ball, I think, for both teams. I think Iowa's going to need to shut down Ohio State to have a chance to win. 
Ohio State's defense is actually pretty good. You know, we just talked a lot about their offense, but against Penn State, McSorley threw for less than 200 yards, and they held Saquon Barkley to like a two-yard rushing average per carry. So it's it's a good defense, and I don't know if Iowa's going to be able to have that success running the ball that they want, and I think that they're going to need to beat the uh, Buckeyes through the air if they want a chance to win this thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think um, I, I think this is the game that we need to see it from Brian Ferentz from beginning to end. Um, assuming that he's the one calling games, and between you know us recording it and the game, uh, he hasn't been suspended by the conference for for his antics. Um, but I think we need to see him do the things that we saw in some of the Penn State game that we saw in the Iowa State game, which is really keep uh, Ohio State's uh, keep them off balance. Um, to me, the kind of the, the the defining play of that Penn State game from from the Iowa offensive perspective was um, the little screen pass to uh, Wadley that ended up being a 70-yard touchdown or whatever yeah. it was. Um, they, they caught him all, you know, bringing the house, and they dumped it off to Wadley. Um, my take about Wadley in space is I actually think he's the type of person, um, he's a great athlete, no doubt, but I think you want to get him the ball in the direction you want him to go. Um, I, I don't think he has quite that elite acceleration that you see from uh, Smith-Marset. Um, but I think once he's got the ball and he's got a head of steam, he's the only one who knows where he's going, and he is slippery to tackle. So I would love to see um, you know, him in the slot, uh, him uh, catching some balls on uh, my favorite route uh, in the NCAA games where it's like that little corner route uh, out of the backfield and shotgun. <laughs> uh, just like dump it over um, everyone who's blitzing and, you know, see, see what happens. So I think we're going to need to see some of those chunk plays um, from the Iowa offense this week. Um, and if there are enough of them, then, then they're probably going to have a chance. But I just don't know. Um, this is a different team uh, than Michigan last year. Uh, Ohio State is. Uh, the, just uh, – the, I don't think Urban Meyer has the same mindset in terms of really liking the <laughs> really liking kind of the rock fights that Jim Harbaugh does, which no. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is kind of a version of Kirk Ferentz in that respect. Like he kind of lets himself get down in those rock fights against lesser competition where I don't think, I don't think you see that from Urban Meyer um, and the team he coaches. Uh, so uh, I think there's a chance, but uh, I'm I'm not very optimistic. Uh, d- do you want to uh, make a prediction on it, or I guess maybe maybe give Iowa a, a chance? They're I think 17 point underdogs, uh, or at least that's what they opened at. Yeah, uh, really quick before I do do a prediction, I'm gonna do a quick punter go for it. That I kind of went to, I kind of said this as a joke before the Minnesota game. I said that if Iowa wants any chance of winning, they need Nathan Stanley to throw the ball 50 times, uh, and that was just me being stupid on Twitter. But I think that if they have any chance of beating Ohio State, Nate Stanley needs to throw the ball at least 35 to 40 times. What do you think about that statement? I am going to go for it. I think that's a great statement. 
Um, I'm just going to see if I can pull up uh, Stanley's uh, statistics from the Iowa State game. I don't think it's going to end up being um, quite that style of game if Iowa's going to win. I think it's going to be Big Ten high scoring, or at least like what the Big Ten I grew up on high scoring, where it needs it'll be like in the high 20s, low 30s if Iowa has a chance. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go for it. How about yourself on that one? Uh, I actually genuinely believe that, and it's mostly because I think that Urban Meyer and uh, who's their coach? It's Chiano defensively. Uh, I think that Chiano is a good enough defensive coordinator that, yeah, I'm not sure if you can hear my dog. He's going off right now. Um, I think that he's a good enough defensive coordinator that he can, you know, that he'll have them just kind of zero in on the run, and if Iowa can pass the ball enough that he stops them from doing that, then they have. That's when I think that they're going to get that offense moving. Is Ohio State's going to be keyed in on that? They're well coached. You know, everybody does it, but I think Ohio State could probably even do better than that uh, than what everybody else does. They're what the sixth best team in the country per the college football playoff rankings that just came out. Uh, yeah, I th- think that's what I saw. They're six or seven. They're Penn State's the other one of those numbers. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that that's what it's going to take to win is a high, a high volume of passing. Yeah, just to kind of close the loop on what I was looking at, 41 passes is what Stanley had against Iowa State for 333 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, so I'm with you that I think 40 might be the number. Um, if for nothing else, then that Iowa's gonna, probably going to get a little bit behind the eight ball early, um, either by design or just by how it is. And they're going to have to keep up with them earlier than they're they're probably used to because uh, a seven-point lead, like Kirk said today, a seven-point lead can turn into a 21-point lead super fast with Ohio State. Um, And that's that's something that scares me. Um, But on the flip side, Iowa does have a, a toughness to them that, like, I, the, the easy comparison is, like, Ohio State or Iowa versus Nebraska, just kind of in mentality and kind of where they are at programs now. And I think – I don't think Iowa is the type of team that will let someone come into their house and put up 50 points on them. I, I, I could be wrong. This Ohio State team could just be that fast, that good, that well coached. But I just think that there's – I just don't think they let that happen. Um, and and – at, and that might be enough. Yeah, Iowa's a team that generally doesn't roll over and you know let teams do what they want. The only exception I could think of, at home at least, is against Penn State in 2012. And that was a terrible season, terrible game. Uh, that's the one that they lost Brandon Scherf with, uh, with an ACL, I think, wasn't it? Uh, so... I don't think that was the game. I thought it was the Illinois State game that they lost Sheriff and then Donald on consecutive plays, and that was right before the Penn State game, maybe. I think it was something weird like that. I, I think it was I think it was that game because I remember I remember uh, being there and it being depressing. Well, because the final score too, but anyway, let's let's not get into that rabbit hole. Uh, so yeah, let's do predictions. What do you uh, What do you think for this one? I'm going to say I'll give Ohio State 31 points and Iowa 21 points. That's, that's, where, that's, that's where I'm at. All right, so you pick Iowa to cover. 
Um, I I think that this is going to be a really ugly, low-scoring game where Ohio State's going to put up some points. I think it's going to end up being Ohio State winning in the end. Um, probably something like, I don't know, 35 to 10. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in Iowa's offense. Um, I haven't seen, they haven't been consistent enough for me to have faith. When I've seen great flashes. They were great against Iowa State, you know, when they had to be. But I just haven't seen enough from them um, all season to really pick them to beat a top 10 team that's, you know, got boatloads of talent and is well coached. Uh, so I think it's going to be like 35 to 10. And I, if I was going to get one of those late garbage time scores to make it look a little bit closer. Yeah, so I'm looking at just uh, sportsreference.com, my favorite uh, website during this time. And the number that, to me, kind of speaks volumes is in the Kirk Ferentz era, minus 1999. No no opponent has scored more than 40 points against Iowa at home. So That's not uh, true, though. Uh, they they gave up what was it forty? Oh no, they only gave up thirty eight to Penn State in two thousand and twelve. I think it was thirty eight. Yeah. Okay then. All right then. You're right. My bad. I'm so sorry for being mean. It, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I guess I tr- I trust this a little more than I trust you. Um, but I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I think kind of that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the the number is if if Iowa can. You know, man, like you have Ohio State getting 35, I have them getting 31. If Iowa can somehow find a way, they're going to need some plays to go their way. Um, they really haven't had a whole lot of plays go their way this year, um, and it kind of seems like it, it. It never really takes a turn necessarily uh, in that regards. Normally, if they're doing, if they're a positive turnover team. They're going to be kind of positive the whole way through the season or a negative, negative all the way through. So um, I, they're, they're going to need some plays. And, and if, they can, if they can flip that this game, then maybe they can make a run throughout the, the rest of the season and really um, salvage some, some low points. But I don't think what happens this game necessarily is going to uh, dictate kind of my happiness as an Iowa fan in terms of football. No, yeah, I, I'm going into this game with low expectations. Uh, if people have hot takes after Iowa loses to Ohio State, then they need to get their heads checked because it. I don't know a lot of people who are going to this expecting Iowa to win, but this is a good team, and if Iowa loses badly to a good Ohio State team at home, you know that that happens. You know, this isn't the best Iowa team that we've seen in a while. This isn't the worst Iowa team we've seen. But if getting blown out by Ohio State, uh, it's not the end of the world. It isn't. And as Iowa fans, we should be well accustomed to it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess kind of the, the last thing uh, maybe to touch on is uh, a little bit of this basketball talk. I don't think we need to devote a whole lot of time to it just because uh, it's kind of all sussed out. But Connor McCaffrey is officially um, he's officially playing basketball this year, Max. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm excited. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think that he's a, an upgrade from Christian Williams at the point guard position. I think Christian Williams could have been a good like small forward 
He's got those long arms. Uh, he's going to probably be a downgrade defensively, but I think that his offensive potential is so much higher than uh, Williams was. So I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a good move for the Hawks. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for it from uh, a perspective of, I think, kind of two things. I think this gives Iowa a little higher ceiling this year, but I also think it gives them a, a little lower of a floor. Um, to your point, Christian Williams, he was uh, the kind of guy, Stoop said it uh, in the comments, where, um, you know, he, he could go out there and put out a fire on defense. Um, yeah. Iowa doesn't have that player now. Uh, I think uh, maybe Ahmad Wagner might be the guy um, just because I, I think he's going to bring that kind of grit and intensity um, whenever he's on the court. Uh, same for Nick Bear. Um, and maybe even Jack Nungi. Nungi. Uh, maybe he can be you know the guy if he ends up kind of figuring out his way by the end of the season. He can be someone that's really wreaking havoc on defense. So I think uh, they don't have kind of a known quantity uh, on defense anymore. Um, but I, I think that we uh, they could be a little better because uh, he gives them a lot of options on offense, like you said. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm not so sure that this is a reasonable take or a reasonable idea, but I think that we're going to see a little bit less of uh, Wagner playing in that kind of center role. Uh, and I think that we're going to see more of him playing kind of on the wing, as and particularly for his defending skills. I think that he's going to be more of a small forward this year. He's got that height. He's only, what, like 6'8". He's not a big guy. Uh, but I do think that he has the ability to turn into a lockdown defender. I've seen them, you know, in game situations. I've seen him practice beforehand. I've seen a little bit of them practicing in general. Um, but I think that he has the athleticism to be that player and you know he might not be doing it this year I think he's only a junior this season but I think that he's got probably got the highest ceiling of any Hawkeye defensively that's not named Nick Bear Nick Bear is just a super intense guy so I'm it's gonna be interesting to see what happens defensively with this team yeah uh I I that you you hit that nail right on the head for me um, I was hoping, and maybe it's kind of a little tough to say just because uh, William Jewell was so small, <laughs> like laughably yeah. small. They rolled out like five guys who were my height, and I'm 5'10". And, Same. And, and they were super quick, and they just didn't know what to do. And listening to the John Rothstein podcast, it was actually, you know, it was pretty interesting. Um uh, in terms of Fran being like, guys, it's an exhibition. Get out there, move your feet. Whatever happens, happens. Eventually, they were able to maybe not necessarily figure it out defensively. They gave up 35 points in the second half versus 46 in the first. Neither of those are particularly good numbers, but I guess if you're Iowa, you're fine giving up 36 points and a half, assuming that you know you, you average that. That's 72 points per game, and they're going to be in the 80s. So uh, you just defensively I didn't see kind of what what I had wanted to out of um uh Garza and Nunji um but I think the skeletons there um for a good defense it might not calcify this year uh, I was looking at some numbers and um the same kind of happened with, with Adam Woodbury when he was here. The, the first year, they were really figuring out a lot of things on defense. He wasn't 
having the, the team impact that you might have expected um, when you bring in a 6'10 guy who's just planted in the center uh, yeah. for the zone and can body every single um, big man that's going to see. It took him about a year before the team defense really really got good. Um, and we might see the same with Garza in terms of uh, overall team development. But I think what they add offensively, it's just, I said it probably 20 times last podcast I was on. I am just so excited <laughs> about kind of the versatility and all the tools they have on offense. They have four or five post guys who can go out and get their own bucket and get a bucket for someone else. Like th- there was a pass Creener made where he had the ball on the wing. It was like just a, a silly little pump fake dribble. And then he like flung it across with his left hand and hit Nungi for Nungi for his uh, first three of the game. Like these guys can do a lot of things and they don't necessarily need to do it every game. So it'll be incumbent on Fran to really figure out who has a hot hand and really ride them throughout the season. Yeah, uh, one quick note I was going to touch on, uh, kind of going back to defense a little bit and kind of going back to what you said about having a bunch of big guys who can, you know, create offense. I was going to go with the opposite side. Um, last year, everybody was saying Iowa size, they're going to disrupt things for smaller players, you know, out on the perimeter. They're going to make things difficult, and they didn't. I'm interested to see if things are any different this season uh, because of the size. Uh, you know, they have a ton of huge guys on the team. They have almost nobody that's small other than Bo Hannon. And, I mean, if you consider Isaiah Moss to be small. But they're they're a huge team this season. And they can really, you know, try cause some havoc if they can, you know, improve their uh, on-ball defense. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of it for me. Like, uh, with... With Bohan, and you, you know his defensive deficiencies, but you just hope that they're they're improved enough that he's not creating, uh, he's not making the the inside of the defense really susceptible. That that to me is going to be kind of the the thing that I'm watching is 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 Bohan able to really do enough defensively? He doesn't need to <laughs> turn into a lockdown defender, but is he? You know, able to draw charges? Is he able to keep guys in front of him? Is he able to, um, you know, play the passing lanes? Uh, I, I think there, there's been a more focus on defense. They've said it, uh, didn't necessarily see it that first game, but they were able to kind of just pull away. Uh, and if they're going to give up 72 points a game, I think Fran takes that because he knows this team can probably score as well as any other team he's had. Um, and they play at such a high pace that those 72 points, it's really not that much uh, possession by possession. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, I think that's all I have for basketball. I think that we could probably wrap things up on that note. Uh, yeah, so, you know, like, subscribe, comment, uh, you know, all that good stuff. You know, if you if you roast us in the reviews, we'll, we'll read it on the podcast. We No, we didn't get anything this week, so... You know, off to a slow start, but we'll figure it out. Um, you have any last words? No, I think let's go ahead and just say follow at Gospel of Max for uh, the best Twitter handle, horrible candy takes, and uh, other bad takes in general. Um, <laughs> and then you can follow me at HD underscore star, uh, S-T-A-R-R. So that's, I think, all I have. Thanks for listening to the Pants Party. Yeah, go Hawks. Go Hawks.